This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 808. I think everyone realizes there needs to be a change. I think David mentioned earlier about the archaic system that has never changed since the beginning of real estate. Right. <laughs> and we're actually bringing about all of that change. What's going on, everyone? This is David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, here today with my co host, Rob Abasolo, bringing you show number 808, like Hawaii's area code. Rob, when's the last time you were in Hawaii? It was about three years ago. Oh, no, 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 no. It was like four years ago. It's been a while. It's been a while. That's actually where I read Burr, by the way. Fun fun fact for you, my friend. Was in Hawaii? Was in, in Maui. Nice, man. That's maybe where it was conceived, actually. If you think about <laughs> it, I spent a lot of time there, too. And who knows? Maybe I was just minutes away from Brandon Turner the entire time, and I had no idea. You would know if he was. Everybody sees him. He, <laughs> he walks around, and like it just he's super noticeable. Well... <laughs> Guys, we have got a fantastic episode for you today. You are going to see why we are the biggest, the best, and the baddest real estate podcast in the world. Today, Rob and I interview Sheila Fajeron and Teresa Grobecker of Consortia, a company that is using blockchain to revolutionize the way that real estate changes hands, information is recorded, even currency is moved around. This is a fantastic episode, and it's another reason why you're listening to the Bigger Pockets podcast, because every week we are bringing you stories like this, how-tos, and answers that you need to make smart real estate decisions now in today's current market, as well as the future market, which is where we're headed. Rob, I'm sure that your quaff is shaking right now. What are some <laughs> things that investors should pay attention to in today's show to help them with their business? Well, first of all, let me say, I am particularly excited about this episode because I love future stuff. I love futury stuff. I love change, especially in the real estate world where a lot of practices are a bit outdated and archaic. You know, I think that when a county website is like modern, I get all excited because I'm like, oh man, I don't have to like look at a website from 1990. So this is like the complete opposite end of that where it really feels like we're walking into 2050, you know? Absolutely. This show will get your mind racing and your thoughts running. It's very fast. You might have to listen to it twice, but I want to make sure that you let us know in the comments on YouTube, what were some of the things that caught your attention the most, or maybe gave you a little bit of a mind blown moment. Before we bring in Sheila and Teresa, a quick tip for everyone. Never close on a Friday. If you're an agent, don't just put 30 days on the contract. Actually, look at the timeline and avoid closing on a Friday. And if you're buying, tell your agent this. Listen to today's show to learn why. Oh, I've got another quick tip. Another quick tip. Quick tip. Number two is always call and verify your wire instructions. You may think that it's an extra step. It's annoying, but I promise you, if you listen to this episode, you'll understand why it's actually 100% necessary for every closing. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. 
This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com slash VP. Connectinvest.com slash VP. All right, let's get to it. Sheila and Teresa, welcome to the show. To kick things off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your personal background with real estate? Yeah, I grew up in real estate, I would say. Um when we talk about interest rates being what they are today, um, one of my first memories is being at my sister's development and interest rates went to 18% while she was redoing a property. So um, I grew up managing property with my parents. I bought, I think, 23 doors in the dead of COVID. That's such a dad joke, but like the world was shut down. We didn't know how we'd get like a notary out. Mm -hmm. uh, the title offices were shut down. I bought 23 doors when the world was shut down. So um, that's that's fun. Uh, I'm kind of crazy. I did my first two fix and flips with a baby on each hip and just drywall everywhere. Somebody was burning laminate flooring or as, as they were like laying new flooring in one of the properties uh, and trying to like nurse a baby. So yeah, I'm kind of hardcore about just doubling down on on investing in real estate. I do believe that it's the secret to um, unlocking wealth. I think that I, I believe in the American dream, like so hardcore. I'm an immigrant. I was left to die in the hospital in my country because I was half, I was half American, half white and half of that origin. And so my parents, my mom left everything to come to the United States. And for me, there's nothing more important than protecting that American dream. That inspires me every day. It's the reason why I took, you know, a week out of my life to go help with fair housing last week in DC and really like what drives me with consortia. Um, so that's just me and my story and investing and uh, why real estate is important to me. Thank you for that. Where'd you buy the properties at? Um, I bought in Illinois. I have an atlas in front of me and then in Kentucky. All right. Thank you. Sheila? Yeah, I actually started out on the um, working for Jerry Jones. <laughs> He is a big developer in Dallas. And so I started working for his office, uh, which is how I got into real estate, learning that end of it, and then wound up uh, running the custom classic um, divisions and neighborhoods for David Weekly. My my gift is structure. Like, I love construction. 
And so I can walk into a house and tell you exactly what to do to fix it. I can tell you what walls to take down, what to change. I can see it in my head. So I I would actually draw floor plans for homeowners, hand it to the CAD operator to load, and then worked with the builder to build it. So I did that for about a decade before I became a broker and then um, started buying and flipping or buying and holding and gutting and renovating properties ever since then. So I still do that. Not as much. I've I've done so many of them <laughs> that I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to buy something I don't have to actually gut. I think, <laughs> I, I think I'm at the point where I just want to be able to paint it and maybe <laughs> change the carpet or something or change the... Uh, just hardcore renovations just do take something out of you and the older you get the less you're willing to do that so um and then helping investors you know multifamily or apartment buildings and you know just helping people look and buy and what to do and how to make sure you can get your money back how long are you going to hold it that kind of stuff Sheila and Teresa run a company called Consortia. We'll get into the details of what Consortia does. But in short, this company has put the world's largest asset class on the blockchain, and it just may be the future of real estate. Teresa and Sheila both invest in real estate personally, so they can speak to the benefits for other investors. So nice to have you two on today. Thank you. Awesome to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Teresa, can you share with our listeners what Consortia does? Consortia is Carfax for the house on blockchain. So think of blockchain as a spreadsheet. Everyone's used a spreadsheet before, right? We put in numbers, details about a transaction or something that we need to organize in a spreadsheet. Sometimes I create a spreadsheet and I share it with Sheila. And I'm like, Sheila, can you add to my spreadsheet? Because you're super smart. Please add in information, details, right? We've all done this with business partners, spouses. Other times we make a list of things And then we send it to somebody like my kids. You have no opinion about this. No one cares what you think. You're only allowed to read this. (laughs) You're not allowed to write into the spreadsheet. So that's how we use blockchain. It's just a spreadsheet. It's an XML file to log details about a piece of property. Rob, what do you think about this so far? Yeah, I have a question. So when you say the Carfax for properties, Carfax typically, basically, it... uh records all of the history of a vehicle, right? So when the vehicle was sold, when the vehicle was damaged, it's a, there's an insurance claim. And it gets it even gets down to like if someone ever crashed a vehicle and got it repaired like at an auto shop, right? Is that effectively what you're saying here? Like uh, it's the Carfax for properties and that you are basically transcribing the entire history of the property onto the blockchain? Yeah, you nailed it. Okay, great. So good, good, good. Uh, So you mentioned the blockchain and we're used to hearing blockchain in connection with crypto, but Consortia is not crypto. Can you explain how crypto and blockchain are different? Yeah. So blockchain is the underlying technology that crypto is based on top of. And the big difference between Consortia and a lot of protocols that are out there is Consortia decided never to be a crypto. We never did a raise. Nothing that we're built on is public chain. So there's this big divergence, I would say, in the blockchain space, public versus private chain. And if it was public chain, that means everything about my information, consumer's information would all be publicly available or at least a key, a hash to go and then reference information that needs to be private. So I'm licensed in a bunch of different ways from the state to federal government. 
And in my line of work and Sheila's line of work, because we're similar, we have to take care of the consumer. So protecting their information is paramount. And that's what consortia does is protect the integrity of the house and the information about the person who owns the house. So let's maybe take this to a higher level and then scale down into some of these details. If I'm understanding you correctly, this is replacing what a title report would have done in the past, right? No, we don't replace title. For us, we have a very different opinion. I think there are a lot of millennial enthusiasts about blockchain. I'm a millennial. I get it. And I'm in blockchain. But the business use case for title being recorded with a title plant, being handled by attorneys and having an insurance product behind it is fundamental to the integrity of the world's largest asset class. Okay, that helps. So we know what it's not. It's not replacing title, disrupting the industry like you keep hearing everybody screaming from the rooftops whenever new technology is introduced. Can you give me some examples of what would appear in this spreadsheet? So would this be... In the inspection report, the roof shows that it's only got four years of useful life, or there's a plumbing leak and these these pipes were changed, but these ones weren't. The electrical system was upgraded in this part of the house, but it's not somewhere else. You're saying this is information that a home buyer would want to know, but you don't necessarily want the lender being privy to this because it would blow up the whole deal the minute that they saw it. Exactly. And also keep in mind that a, a home inspector is doing an over flyover of the asset. They are not mm -hmm. necessarily a licensed contractor. They are not a professional plumber or a professional HVAC company. They're just mm -hmm. trying to give you an idea of things that could potentially be of concern. And then you are supposed to then call those other companies to have them actually tell you what's going on with that part of the house. And if there is an issue and if it does need to be replaced, that's not the home inspector's job. Home inspectors to do based on what code is today versus the condition of that part of the asset. So I think a lot of people look at home inspectors as if they're this guru construction person that's going to tell them everything going on in the property. And that's not true. So I have a question about this. Like I'm really interested in this use case. Effectively, if we're stashing away all the data and all of the repairs and all of the things from the home's past, right? 80 to 100 years. Do you think it's possible that that would make the house seem like a much scarier and riskier purchase to the everyday buyer? 100% it would. Yeah. Okay. And thus disrupting like how often homes are actually sold or, or resold. I mean, it seems like it could have a pretty drastic effect on market value, right? Let me just kind of put a pin in this because Teresa and I were on a meeting earlier today with one of our partners who is a company that is actually giving a true AVM valuation through his product. And he has created something that he can AI scan the photos of the property and tell you what a standard AVM would be, i.e. what capital markets would normally see versus based on the pictures, what the actual condition of the property value is, and then the cost to actually renovate that property and what the value would be after you renovated it. It was an $80,000 difference between what a standard ABM that Capital Markets uses of the value of that asset versus what the true condition was based on scanning the pictures. So will this make a huge difference for capital markets, secondary markets? Will it make a huge difference between what you can get for the property? 
Absolutely. (laughs) So Teresa and I aren't working on just one piece of this. We're working on every piece of this. So we have every single part of the asset, every single thing having to do with that asset, location, flood, maps, pictures, condition, uh, appliances, major mechanicals. We have companies in every part of the industry nationally that we're ingesting data on to be able to then go give the true condition and the true value of that asset. Okay, so really fast for the people at home, what is AVM? Because I'm sure uh, a lot of people are like, well, what is that? Automatic valuation model. So when you go to Zillow, here's the best example. Mm, Debates aside whether (laughs) Zillow is accurate or not, like uh, you talk to a broker or a homeowner, they might be like, "Mm, I don't know about that. And actually it takes many different AVMs to come up with something where you think you're in the ballpark. So that's how it's used in the real estate industry. And that's how a broker goes to a consumer and says, we're going to list your price at say 570. You might get a ballpark range from anywhere from 650 down to 525, but somewhere in the middle is the price that you come up with. No different in capital markets. They want to know what is the value of this asset that's being traded in these mortgage pools. Okay. This is dense and rich, like German chocolate cake. Exactly. I'm going to see if I can, <laughs> I mean, see if I have a good understanding of what you're saying, try to paint as clear of a picture as I can. And then we're going to dive into like how this can change the real estate market. If I'm hearing you correct, we're going to be able to store information that the home inspector found the HVAC company that came to look at the air conditioner generates a report. It goes to the homeowner. That person now does not have to disclose that to the buyer. This would be a place where it's all stored. Here's the roofing report, the HVAC report, the plumbing report, the pest report. At one point, they had termites. At one point, they had roaches. Uh, anything like that is now a database where this is stored that people can see. And I think you mentioned earlier, the reason this is valuable is because not everyone can just go in there and see it. They have to have permission. So the capital markets, and we say that we're talking about the companies that buy loans from somewhere else. It's not necessarily good for them to be able to see that right off the bat because who knows what they're going to do with that information and how they complicate it. So I understand now why you were saying this will be private. And with if you have permission, you can see what was in there. The automated valuation models are things that these secondary markets that are buying tons of paper, tons of loans on these houses, they can't hire a person to individually look at every house and say, let's see the pictures. Let's so what happens in those situations, because I've worked with these, you know, hedge funds or private private equity, is they just kind of rate an algorithm that sort of accumulates all of this data together. They throw it in there like the average of these 700 homes they should be worth about whatever. This is a way to actually bring some specifics to the property so that they could know what they're getting and give you a more accurate idea, similar to what the Zestimate does on Zillow. This would be a way that you could get a more accurate understanding of a home without having to go get the professional to to go visit the house, look at the pictures. Okay, I see where you guys are going with this whole thing. And it would change the way, Rob, to your point, like people would be scared to buy houses. They will at first because every buyer assumes they're buying a brand new construction home, even though it's 50 years old. And the minute, because I know you two both invest yourselves, like I, this blows up deals all the time as an agent. We look at the house and there's a crack in the bricks leading up to the home and they're like, oh, I don't want to buy it. The, the bricks are cracked. I need a $10,000 credit. What you're proposing, the Carfax for a home, would put all of this together in a database. We could actually come up with algorithms that would factor in, hey, plumbing that's 30 years old is takes this much off the value of a house. Things like roofs, dry rot, all these things that actually do make a profit less 
a property less profitable could be evaluated, giving somebody a much more objective understanding of what a home is worth. And a buyer would then get used to seeing this so they wouldn't freak out every single time they see there's a leaky toilet because every house they've looked at, there's a list of this stuff. Is that an overall understanding of what you guys are putting together here? Yeah, I think that it's most useful in capital markets. I think that's, and if we can dial down the risk in capital markets, so work from the end and work my way back. So if you create more efficiencies over here in capital markets, it's going to trickle down to the consumer benefit. All right. So when you say the capital markets, what you're saying is this would give lenders more confidence in lending on specific assets, which would theoretically bring more money into that world because it seems less risky for them. Not just the lenders, secondary markets. So the the money behind the lender. Okay. Because it's not yes. just the lender that has the money. It's the it's the guy with the money behind that. And then it's not just the insurance company, it's the reinsurance company that's behind the the guy. Like Liberty Mutual has a reinsurance company, if not two or three behind them, that's diversifying risks. And the other thing that most people don't realize to your point, David, is that most people, when they think about the real estate industry, they just think about the sales. Like, what does the National Association of Realtors say the number of sales were for the year? Like, a couple of years ago, it was six million. Last year is about 5.2. This year, it's going to wind up somewhere around 4.5 million. So, most people are only thinking about the sales of properties for the year. But to your point about you as a lender, having someone who gives you the loan that they sell that, most people don't realize when you get a loan, that loan's going to be sold five to seven times. So instead of Teresa and I thinking about four million properties or four million sales a year, we're, we're talking, we have people trading millions a month with the people that we're working at with that are doing the mortgage backed security. So they're, they're, as she mentioned, trillions of dollars <laughs> being exchanged every year on the mortgage-backed security side with just the loans moving hands. So if we fix that, how how then will that not impact this end of the spectrum, not only from the cost to originate a loan, the consumer cost, you know, it goes down to the consumer because if we can save the money over here, then we have the ability to impact every part of the process and everyone involved. Well, this is all very fascinating. I can see the use case. Um, it's very clear to see where you're going, right? What the trends that you're trying to set or trying to fix. But can we just back up and, and go to the origin of why we're doing this and maybe talk about some of the pitfalls of the state of property data now and transactions? Um, sure. Yeah. So there are some pitfalls in doing a transaction in the way transactions are handled now, there's just so much information about the house that we don't know. I don't care if there's like a nail hole in the wall because I'm an investor. Like if there's a hole two feet wide, I'm like, mm, that's a piece of, I got to document that one, right? But if it's a small error, like that's so subjective. So there's all this past history about a house. It can be something as simple as like, what color paint is on my wall? Like, I'd like to know that color paint so I don't make five trips to Home Depot to figure out what paint to match. But it's more than that. It's like, where are the pipes in this house? Do I have to break apart this entire wall just to figure out how to make some kind of an edit in my kitchen dimension? So that's it, it, this really comes from frustration of buying houses, selling houses, getting yelled at by customers like you lied to me about this. 
That's it, it's personal self-interest. Actually, the whole project is very selfish, I guess. Well, <laughs> it's a result of somebody somewhere didn't disclose something. And then especially in California, but everywhere we all rush and say, let's make a law or a new rule exactly. to stop this from ever happening again. No one asks the question of, is this actually practical or will it work? It's just makes us feel safe that there's a rule. So they say, all right, sellers have to disclose everything they know that's wrong with the house, but sellers don't know everything that's wrong with the house. And if they did, how hard, how easy is it to prove you knew that and you didn't tell me? It's, I mean, it happened 15 years ago or, yeah, we used to hear a weird noise at night, but I didn't think about it. And then, like you said, Teresa, the agent visual inspection disclosure is a joke. You walk through and you're like, the paint's discolored over there. The cabinet squeaks when you open it. Like, what? You're not a home inspector. You don't know what you're looking at. It's a way that people check a box that makes a consumer feel safe that is absolutely useless. It doesn't do any good. And then it leads to pissed off people, right? They move into the house and the cabinet doors are falling off and the faucet is leaking or there's a foundation problem that didn't show up in the report. And then they're angry and they want to go sue somebody. And then, well, those sellers knew about it. It just creates a big, ugly scenario. What I see what you guys are saying is your product would be a, a history, just like with a car, of everything that went wrong with it so that consumers can make educated decisions. I mean, I think that's brilliant. And I'm speechless. This might be the first time on the podcast. I don't know what to say other than I think that this is brilliant. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool product. So I know that, uh, you know, one of the other big pitfalls probably of the current, uh, way that we gather data or disperse it is, um, wire fraud. Is, th- is there a, a use case for stopping wire fraud sort of through this new, I don't know, processing of data? Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that we're working with the Fed on because, if if you think about um not too terribly long ago wire fraud was you know in the million hundred million range now it's 2 billion can you guys describe wire fraud briefly so that people know like practically what that means yeah to like an everyday consumer yeah well if i am buying a house a title company says i'm going to send you wiring instructions they email that to me you don't think people are hacking people's emails Right. And then I can choose to either physically go to my bank and send that wire. But what happens is you get verification by email, which is normally not secure, about the amount of money that's going to be wired in the day it needs to be wired. So you don't think that people are interrupting that wire. And we've had so many people tell us stories that 600000 was sent and it never arrived at the title company. And somehow in that 24-hour period or whatever period it takes to get that wire to that title company, it somehow disappears. Yeah. So you'll have people that will call my client and say, hey, I work for Acme Title Company. I'm Candace. You never met me. But hey, here's the wiring instructions we need you to... When you go to the bank today, here's what you're going to send. Or when you go, here it is. And it's not the instructions from the title company. It's their own account that you're sending the money to. Or like you mentioned, they'll send you an email that is looks like Acme Title Company Wow. that says, hey, here's your wiring instructions. Send it here. And you have no idea. So like us as agents, this is so common that we would have to like verify with our buyers. Yeah, this is the real thing that you should be sending. Like you almost have to get everybody on the phone at the same time and say, yep, this is the title rep. This is the correct. It's very easy for this to happen. And there's no... Recourse. Like, where do you go to say that's not fair? It's like, is there an insurance company that's going to cover you? Is the government going to cover you? You just lost the $600,000. So people don't realize, but the title company is on the hook for that. 
title is more than just title insurance on the house. It's actually, it covers the whole transaction and the wire fraud that happens. So that means that your title becomes more expensive because they have to cover their losses when these things happen. So you have wire fraud, you have land fraud. Teresa and I had a situation where we know someone that a piece of land got sold and found out that that person selling the land wasn't actually the owner. The real owner showed up at the courthouse to pay their taxes and they said, well, that you sold that land. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? I didn't sell that piece of land. You even have people that present on foreclosures that they own that foreclosure, hold open houses and sell a house that is in foreclosure <laughs> that they don't own. There's so many ways people defraud other people. So some of the things that we're working on are verification of the human, verification of the documents that that human owns that asset. We have the ability with different companies, we haven't implemented all of it, but we have the ability to do biofacial scans, hand scans, um, ways to verify that your identity is truly your identity. And how do we make sure that you are the true owner? Because we had someone that made a driver's license, made all of the records showing that they were the owner of that property and defunct the title company <laughs> uh, because they had sent a notary that it what they weren't in the title company. I mean, it's just such a big problem at so many levels that when you have an immutable ledger, number one, you have a record of ownership that you can then secure more than any other way. Not, I'm not going to say it is not hackable because sadly, with a lot of the smart people in this world that are fraudsters, I'm sure they are working on ways to break through blockchain. So as much as possible currently, it is the most secure way to prevent these things on an immutable ledger and to validate the human and to validate the asset. And when you think about what we're going to be able to do to ward off or prevent or hopefully decrease the fraud in all of the different ways that we've discussed, this is a huge, huge benefit to the consumers and to the industry and to our economy from all of these people robbing people on every level. And then the new Fed rail that Teresa mentioned that just came out this week, that's instant settlement. So a lot of people think if they send a wire that their money's gone, that it, they don't have to worry when that's not true. And so if you send a Zelle, there's still a delay. If you send a PayPal, there's still a delay. There's a chance for someone to steal that. Where on the Fed rail, they're attaching your bank to that title company directly and it's immediate. So with the Fed rail, the goal is to be able to prevent the fraud because it's instantaneous from the federal government to and the banking institution to that title company. That's the goal. So if I'm hearing you gals correctly, there's two different problems we're discussing here. One is the actual information about the property itself that will be stored on this blockchain. The other is a form of identity verification that will stop the fraud and consortia provides both. Yes, you are correct. Yes. Okay. Anything else that this wonderful product is offering? Can it also, you know, slice and dice and make Julian fries? <laughs> I also want to just say really quickly on the wire fraud thing. I'm actually really glad that y'all are talking about really th like this actual this specific problem because I will say that every time that I close on a property 
and they send me the wire instructions and they say, please call us before you wire it, I'm always a little annoyed because I'm like, I can read the account number. <laughs> now you know why they're doing that. That's now so I know why. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do it every time because they say to do it. It's always in bold exclamation marks and you got to listen to that. But And you think you're doing them a favor. You're like, fine, I'll call yeah. you guys. Raw build. Hey, this is me. <laughs> Are you happy now? <laughs> Having no idea what they were saving you from. And they're like, yes, can you send 10,000 And more? you bring up a good point, Rob, because this is the other thing that happens that Teresa has brought up in the past to me. Is that if, and because you're, we, we have a lot of investors listening, this is a really crucial point. If you have paid cash for your asset, it's easier for them to steal. So Teresa has friends and, uh, she has advised me <laughs> to have a small loan on the asset because it's harder to steal it if it has a loan. Because if you think it's cleared, if, if it's cleared and I'm not checking on that title status and I'm not, I don't have checks and balances that I have in place to make sure if somebody's pinging or doing something or trying to create fraud on that, what am I doing to make sure I'm protecting that asset? It, and a lender, if there's a loan, the lender has to be contacted in order to cure the loan in order to release right, that right. asset. And then you have to sign documents that say, yes, pay off the loan to the lender. So... This has happened to me before. I've oh. owned properties free and clear that people have stolen. And that's exactly one of the ways oh, it's able to happen. Oh, my goodness. Is you, you normally would have an extra level of communication where a lender would say, even if it's a $10 note or whatever, hey, are, do you want to pay off this $10? Like, what? Why? What are you talking about? That alerts you that somebody has transferred title or is in the process of that from you to someone else, which... Happened to me at a, at a pretty large scale a couple of years ago, and it actually created absolute chaos in my life for the last few years. It triggered oh, no. a lot of, of big problems. And I was amazed at how easy it was to do. And when I went to the actual county and said, hey, do not let any of these properties transfer to anyone else, <laughs> the employees literally are like, we can't. If they show up with a deed, we are going to record it. There's no red flag system. There's nothing you can do to stop this. Like that's just the way the system works. And, uh, it, it, that is a great piece of advice. There's also, I'll add, not that you guys need me to add to it, but when there's not a lot of equity in a property, there is less incentive for someone to try to steal it because a loan's going to have to be paid off. So like you often hear paying off properties is the safest way to invest, but in certain situations, it's not. I love your recommendation there. Have a small lean. On the property, but you guys are also addressing this fact that we have an archaic system of transferring properties. Have we got into yet, or would you guys like to talk about just when there is title insurance and needs to be issued? Like you can buy a property and six months later, you're still paying for title insurance when nothing has happened in the last six months and it's the exact same amount. Have you guys sort of taken that into consideration? We actually partnered with a title insurance company that allows you to have a title policy that's active or good for four years. So that's great if you're house flipping. Um, that's available through Boston National Title. So if you guys want to keep that in the in the show or edit that out, but that's one of the rare cases uh, where I've seen something that's just very pro investor, pro consumer, mm -hmm. and really saves on costs there. So I think that's a pretty cool feature. I mean, the way I've always viewed title insurance, maybe I've been viewing it wrong, is like you know you're buying a property, you get the title insurance to make sure that the owner of the property is. The, actually the owner and that you're actually owning the property and everything like that. Why would you need it for four to six years after that? Well, if you're going to flip the property, 
then there's you're going to need that title insurance for the next purchase and sale. And so you can kind of, in, by using that same company and the policy, they've done a lot of the work. So it's easy for them to continue the policy because every time you switch companies, they have to do the research from start to finish. We've been very well schooled up on the title industry because of the nature of blockchain tying into title. Um, so there's just so many nuances. I think we've gone through two years of schooling with our friend TJ Harrington about title um, and just became, he became an advisor to us and then we became an advisor to their Blackstone portfolio of companies. I think the other thing, Rob, that a lot of people, especially investors, don't think about because I've had so many investors say, well, I don't need title policy. I'm paying cash or whatever. I don't need that. I'm just going to buy and hold or buy and flip. But people don't realize there's two types of title policies. One is going to be the policy that covers the lender, that if you by chance foreclose, the lender is able to file that insurance claim and get their money back. The second is the owner's title policy that would cover you. And so owner's title policy, the title company does a search from the last time a reputable title company did a search of the property up until now, and they cover you in case somebody comes back against the property. And this is in very important when you think about, I had, um, I was in the development business before I became a broker and I built lots of homes for a large national builder. That builder went bankrupt. And all of the trades put liens on every property in the neighborhood because they weren't paid by the builder. And none of those people could sell their houses because they had to cure those liens on their properties before they could sell. So title policy would then cover you if you were a homeowner, if you had title policy, to make sure you were protected against any liens from builders or whoever that tried to be filed against your property. And then it covers you into the future as well, like Teresa mentioned. And so when you go to flip that property or even if you're holding that property, it gives you coverage as the owner. So I would never, as an investor, buy a property without title insurance ever, just that little bit of money you spend is so worth it for the peace of mind that anything that happens, you're covered and the title company's on the hook to, to, to cure that. Wow. Okay. So you mentioned, all right, so there's the title insurance benefit. I mean, there's a lot. You also mentioned sort of the um, the financial automation in that, like if you sell, send a Zelle, it would take a long time, but on a ledger um, in the blockchain, it can be a lot faster. Uh, does that also influence how fast one could actually close on the property? Because obviously with title companies being a little bit more archaic, you have to work around sort of their older systems, the fact that they aren't open on weekends, the fact that they close at 4 or 5 p.m. There, there's a lot of things with title companies that I'm always like, okay, I guess I'm on your your time. But does a blockchain solve any of that? Well, I think the new payment rails really solve this issue of the closing timeline. And it's because the payment is made securely, safely. All parties are verified going into it. And this is with one of our partner companies called Payments, like Mint, like Gum, uh, Payments.io. And they're working with Fed because their bank is on board with FedNow. So the first 50 banks just launched with FedNow uh, yesterday. So the benefit here is all the parties have been verified. And then that money settles instantly. So for example, uh, Sheila and I are waiting for a wire that was initiated on Monday. 
I actually have to go check and see if it actually hit. I think that wire is lost. That's awesome. Like no one's as concerned as maybe we should be that the wire is just missing. <laughs> um, so instead of that annoying question that brokers and agents always ask of the title department, we always ask this, did the wire hit? Did the wire hit? Just like Sheila and I are asking, did the wire hit? That issue goes away because we'll instantly know if the money was deposited. Was it sent and initiated? Was it received? So then if that happens, say, the morning of, we can go to the closing window at the county assessor's office, the county recorder's office, and go and record and close the deal. And that makes a huge difference. It makes a difference to the lenders because the lenders are paying interest per diem, which gets rolled down to the consumer. Then that Friday closing, no one should ever close on a Friday. Never write that into your purchase agreement. We're going to close on Friday, uh, July 21st. Bad idea. So you never close on a Friday because if you miss that window, your clients are homeless for a weekend. And then they have to take off work during the next week to go move into their house And then their little children have no place to lay their head at night and eat breakfast. And then the realtor gets his call saying, are you going to pay for my hotel because you missed closing? Like who pays for that, right? The consumer does. So this gets rid of a lot of that friction that happens in the transaction just because of the wire. Did the wire make it? You know, I don't think that fear ever goes away. I've sent a few wires like just last week. And uh, I sent them out early, first thing in the morning, you know, before the cutoff. And the people called me and they were like, it's not here yet at like 3 p.m. And I was like, oh, no, I should have called and verified. No, I'm just kidding. I'm always like, oh, well, what am I going to do? And it always ends up hitting. But that it, there is a little inconsistency there with wires. So I'm glad to hear that. Whereas with blockchain type stuff, uh, particularly some crypto, I'm not going to really get into that. That is a lot more instantaneous because it is on the ledger. So that to me seems like a very, very good use case. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? 
I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. You're ready to open a business bank account for your new property. You know what that means. Coordinating a time between you, your co-founders, and your bank consultant. Waiting at the branch or waiting for hours on the support line. Who has time for that? With Relay, you can open a business bank account for your property 100% online from anywhere. Create up to 20 accounts to organize money by property or by categories like expenses, taxes, or investments. Effortlessly collaborate with role-specific access. That means giving your cleaner a debit card for cleaning supplies or your accountant read-only access to your transactions. Own multiple businesses? Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access them all from one centralized login. Okay, I'm just, I'm going off script here. That is cool. It's annoying that I have to log into 10 business accounts with my current bank. So go sign up for RelayFi because that's a, that's a feature that I like. No monthly fees or minimums, and it takes just 10 minutes to sign up. Head on over to RelayFi.com slash BiggerPockets for stress-free banking. You can join me because I'm heading on over there right now. I'm heading on over to R-E-L-A-Y-F-I.com slash BiggerPockets. Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by ThreadBank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. Um, you mentioned a little bit earlier that the title insurance, you see some people not getting insurance and that's like a really big mistake. I can see that now. But are there any other mistakes that you see real estate investors making now in the world of uh, transactions of, of properties? I think it depends on the investor. It depends on their experience. It depends on um, whether they're already trained as a professional in the industry or they're just coming into it straight out of the gate as someone who's just interested in purchasing real estate. Because for any of us who've been in it a while, there's a lot to learn. And you can make mistakes by buying too high. You can make mistakes by not assessing the cost of repairs. You can make mistakes by uh, overbuilding for the neighborhood. You can make, mis I mean, I could go on and on and on about the mistakes investors make. And so, yeah, that would be a whole show by itself, to be honest with you. Yeah. So uh, what are some of the products that you guys offer that you've developed specifically for the investors and consumers? Because you talked about the use case, especially in the banking world, right? You're, you're helping the secondary markets, the lenders approve of the property conditions before they're taking on these new loans and everything. Is there anything as it pertains in the world more just on a smaller scale for the investor or consumer? Yeah. So if you go to RE Consortia right now and you're a consumer, you mint your property token. We just charge the cost of minting the token. We will do a free property tax lookup for you. 
to see if your house is eligible for property tax savings. The average amount of the savings is $4,600. And that work, that appeal work is done for free upfront and then paid for upon success. And there's 93% success rate. So that is just one example of product that's layered into consortia. Um, I think my mic cut out for a second. That's just one of the products that's layered into consortia. Another one is an appliance inspection report. So that appliance inspection report will tell you exactly the status of your appliance, if there were any recalls, and the useful life of that appliance. So now as a consumer, and and all these products are meant to help the consumer in times like this where everyone's trying to save money. So as a consumer, do I go and fix my washing machine or do I just go buy a new one? That's kind of, you're playing Russian roulette with your own checkbook all the time. Like, I don't know what to do. How would I know? Like, what's, you know, you were debating that, right? Well, at some point there's, there's a breaking point where you say, I'm just going to go to Home Depot or Lowe's and I'm going to go buy that new appliance because it's not worth it to spend that service fee of 250 or $500 to repair this item. And so that's just another example of what we're building into the system. That's there. Once you unlock and you get into the system, all those goodies for the consumer are there. And it's appliances and major mechanicals. So we included in that HVAC. Um, and it's the useful life. I think David mentioned this earlier in the show. What is the useful life? If I'm a buyer and I'm looking at a property, you can use this technology and scan all the appliances, the hot water heater, the HVAC. We even included the electrical panel. We wanted to make sure all the major mechanicals we could were included because that's a big deal when you're buying a home. And all the investors on here could use this because then they could see well, am I going to have to replace that item or is there a way or less expensive for me to repair it to be able to resell this property? That's incredibly useful to investors or consumers. And then for a seller, it's really good for them to know what's going on in their home. So then they can be prepared for negotiations when someone comes of they may ask me to replace this or I need to be prepared. And it actually tells you the age because you're scanning the barcode. So it actually gives you the exact age of that appliance based on the barcode of when it was produced. And then it gives you the estimate of what is the useful life or how many years left. And so as a seller, it's actually very beneficial as well. But wait, there's more. There's home warranty that's rolling out for $100. (laughs) If you've done this, we call it the air report, or that was redundant, the air on the appliances, uh, appliance inspection report. So once that's done, $100 for home warranty, which is amazing, especially if you're an investor. That's in September. So you're saying that the the home warranty is cheaper if you can show that the things are less likely to need to be replaced. Exactly. So, so like when you buy home warranty, you just pick a package. I'm going to buy like the silver, the gold, or the platinum package. What does that mean? They don't know anything about what's inside my house. So my one of my best friends in the whole world, he's the um, managing partner at the investment bank. I've it was an equity partner at a global investment bank. So he bought the founder of Pixar, his house. Every appliance he owns is like $10,000 or $20,000. So how does that insurance company know what they're underwriting in Charles's house? They have no idea. But if you can actually document, this is Teresa's house where every appliance was built, was bought from Home Depot on a weekend special, like open box special, like, you know, the risk is significantly less. And I think that's that information is gold to the insurance companies. 
So how long before it turns into, well, we know this demographic of people runs their dishwasher every two days instead of every day. So it's going to have 14% more useful life than somebody else's. Like you can see how big data making their way into homes is only a matter of time because it's inefficient. Like a home warranty costs what it costs because of all the people that are going to use it when you don't. Those inefficiencies create things being more expensive than they would normally be. And I can see that what you guys are trying to put together is something that will solve for some of those inefficiencies and overall bring the cost of all of this down. So what about rent rolls? Is that something that Consortia is working on as well? Oh my That's goodness. funny. How'd you know that? Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. Um, look, there's something coming. It's called a central bank digital currency. Yeah, we're working on that. It's it's coming. I think in Europe, they're just so much more progressive. Like they're centuries older than us, thousands of years older than us than our economy here, but they're just more progressive in every way. And it's just common knowledge that there's something new that's coming in the currency there. And all of this is transparent um, there. And yeah, we're building for that over in Europe and we're going to bring that here. So that's part of our it's part of our work with the Federal Reserve to map out what that looks like. Well, I love all of this. And I mean, it seems like y'all are pioneering a lot of what I consider to be the future of real estate. I'm on board. Obviously, someone like David is on board. We can see the benefits of it. But I am wondering, because you talked about how the real estate lobby is like, I think, what, the fifth largest or top five? Um, title, title. Title. NAR okay. is the largest lobbying force on Capitol Hill, which is the National Association of Realtors. Consortia is an NAR portfolio company, not by mistake. Got it. Okay. That's what I was going to ask because it does sound like you are disrupting a lot. And so given that title companies and this world tends to be a little bit more archaic, you know, what's the actual adoption of this whole thing looking like? Because it, it feels like, you know, honestly, I'm impressed that y'all are able to do this, but is it something that is met with a ton of opposition from... 99.9% of the real estate community? No, actually, Teresa and I were on a meeting this past week with all the heads of the largest title companies in America presenting this. And what did they say? Well, you have a few people, like every group, that are pushing back, that don't understand it, that are scared. And then you have everybody else saying, I want to do this. I'm going to call you after the call. <laughs> Oh, okay. So okay. Uh, I think everyone realizes there needs to be a change. I think David mentioned earlier about the archaic system that has never changed since the beginning of real estate. Right. <laughs> um, and right. we're actually bringing about all of that change. So we've met with everyone from the White House to senators, to governors, to all the major players in each part of the space, to all the data companies that are data pieces that are missing in the files that would be valuable to capital markets or secondary markets. Um, and we already have all of it actually in place and we're launching. I mean, we've launched part of it, but we're launching the next phase of it right now. So it's, it's already live. We're already doing this and we have countries that have signed with us. We're building products for different countries. So this is not a small project, which is why we're involved with the White House and the Federal Reserve, because no one else that we've met anywhere in the world has thought of or built what we have built. Okay. Yeah. So the adoption really is not as slow as one would think. No, we thought it would take us five more years. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. 
So it took a hot second, not because people opposed anything that we've proposed, especially here on this podcast. As you can see, more transparency helps everybody from investors, capital markets to the consumer. So that wasn't the opposition. It was more of humanity getting their arms and their brains around this idea of a spreadsheet. Although like spreadsheets and ledgers have been around since like 500 AD from the Yap Islands. That's a fascinating story and credit to our business partner over in the UK for teaching us that. Um, it's just a matter of, of people being okay and comfortable with this idea. And here we are today. So it's, it's now picking up steam. I think Sheila joined the company and, and then people were like, wait, Sheila, <laughs> Sheila, who did $50 billion of business last year, she's in the company. Now we get it. Okay. So. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I suppose it's not necessarily replacing title companies. And you guys did mention that at the beginning of the podcast, it's more like a, I don't know, a, a supplementary service or a way to kind of bolster and make the services of a title company stronger and more modern. Just to be clear, we are not replacing anyone. <laughs> We are merely the platform. We are moving data. That's it. We're the copper piping that's moving the data from one group to another group, except instead of us getting one, having one focus, like many tech companies you meet, focus on one piece of product or one product and they're very siloed. Teresa and I are actually bringing all of them together. Think about building a city. And we're the foundation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and all these different companies are built on consortia, making their data available to run through our piping to the other companies that are interested in that data. Kind of like what Elon Musk talks about his plan for Twitter. He wants it to be the app that everyone goes to for basically everything. Exactly. It's, it's a way of making it easy for the end user or the capital markets to have a place that we go to. I mean, that's there's so many things in life that need something like that. Just again, when I was in law enforcement, it was amazing how many different data systems that we had for warrants. Like the dispatchers would have to run the same person's information through four or five different systems sometimes. And like the stuff would slip through the cracks because there's not one place you could go to. I always wondered why you couldn't have a database where all the warrants are. So if somebody killed someone, we could find it out quicker, but it's very difficult when you, when it makes everyone's jobs harder. Now, the more difficult it is, the more people have to be hired to do it. The more they have to charge for their time and their risk, the more that that gets passed on to the end user. So I can see how valuable this is. You've obviously been building this company with a long future in mind. What do you see for the future in terms of currency? <laughs> Just like a little light question there for the end of the podcast. Thank you, David, for the heavy, heavy. Um, so everything is going digital. Um, consumers have already voted with their money, pun intended. Like we have adopted Zelle, PayPal, um, Venmo, all the Braintree companies that are out there. We already do that. We expect online banking. We expect instant settlement. Like what we were complaining about earlier, like the hiccup in title and closing. We're spoiled and we asked for it. We asked for currency to move faster. And so here we go. The central banks of the world are issuing that. So all of this exists now. It's just becoming more transparent and more clear. So it's going to come out in two different ways. This new currency, it's going from the top down, which is, for example, real estate, large transaction items. And it's going to be a flood up effect, which is from the consumers who are receiving social welfare, the underbanks, the unbanked people, the people using check cashing. So all those people who are, did you know people who pay for check cashing spend up to a third of their income, a third of their top line revenue just to get access to move money? 
That's insane to me. These yeah. are the poorest of the yeah. poor. And these, so we're solving for so many social issues, social justice issues, and that we've already asked for it. We're already on credit cards. Like it, it's just the next iteration of that. I think what we have to be careful about is what's fact and what's fiction. There's a lot of fiction, for example, that is on Twitter right now about what all this stuff will do. And I do think we need more clarity from the Federal Reserve and consortiums push the Federal Reserve for more information for consumers to make sure that this, uh, this transition really happens without a hitch, without causing, you know, civil unrest and like fear out there in the economy. So it's been quite an honor for us to be part of that conversation. Um, and to then share what we know of how it's going to change economics and the transference of money with the general public. Can I add a couple of things to that? Number one, I don't think most people realize most of the world doesn't have banking. Most people in the world don't have the ability to have a bank because they can't afford it. But oddly enough, most people have a cell phone. So the ability to transact on your phone with digital currency is going to change the world. Teresa mentioned social economically because you're going to have a lot of these unbanked people being able to now have bank accounts through their phones that they did not have the ability to have before now. Number one. Number two, um, you know, Teresa was mentioning the Fed and one of the things we've talked to them about specifically is the education that we're working with them on to push through NAR, through the entire real estate community and to consumers because people are scared about what they don't know. And it was awesome to hear the gentleman who helped there. We're working with the multiple Fed offices around the country who are involved in this project and the person who is running it and created it out of Boston. And one of the things that we were told by one of the heads of the Chicago Fed is that the banks asked for this, <laughs> that we created this because a lot of the smaller community banks or the independent banks couldn't compete with the big boys in the services they offered or their fee rates that they offered because they didn't have the size and the money and the systems to be able to compete. So this is going to level the playing ground for all of the other banks around the country to be able to offer the services and offer the fees so that, that people aren't overcharged to level the playing ground between the big boys and the smaller people. So we loved knowing that the Fed is doing this, again, because they're trying to serve everybody. They're trying to make sure everyone has access, everyone can have a bank account, everyone can be protected and move money quickly. So I thought that that was important to mention. Well, ladies, thank you for your time today. Uh, Sheila, if anybody wants to reach out or learn more about you, where can they go? Well, they can reach out to Teresa and I on reconsortia.com, R-E-C-O-N. S-O-R-T-I-A dot com, or you can instant message us on Facebook or Instagram. We're on all of those platforms as well. Um, but probably reaching out to us through consortia is the easiest and fastest way to get a hold of us. Awesome. Teresa, anywhere additional that people can find out about you? Uh, LinkedIn and my whole Facebook page is completely public. So you can stalk me there. <laughs> and that's uh, Teresa Grobecker, G-R-O-B-E-C-K-E-R. Yes, that's correct. 
Wonderful. Rob, if people want to stalk you, which I'm sure they will after seeing all this weight that you've lost and how nice that t-shirt fits you, <laughs> where would you recommend your stalkers go? You can find me over on Robilt uh, on Instagram, threads, uh, and on YouTube if you want to find me teaching you how to do real estate and short-term rentals and entrepreneurial and life and all that kind of stuff uh, in about 15 to 20 minute wacky, weird, fun, informational videos. Allegedly. What about you, David? I'm very stockable, to tell you the truth. <laughs> and you can find me at David He's Green. He's America's 24. most stockable bachelor. A hundred percent. That's exactly right. I welcome all stalkers, stockies, stockettes of any of any flavor. Yes, please come check out my social media, what I got going on. It's David Green 24. You can go to davidgreen24.com. Uh, and uh, this has been a fantastic episode. You, you two are both a blast. You're very well spoken. You have a great business idea. Thank you for being so humble and sharing it with us. And just using the experience that each of you have. It sounds like you crushed it in your previous careers, if we're being honest. Both of you have been through the ringer, I can tell from the way you speak. And you didn't just give up and ride into the sunset. You're still pouring yourself back into a project that, as you said, will make uh, the world of real estate a better place for everybody. And I appreciate you taking that approach. So thanks to the both of you. Thank you so much for having us. Um, it I've watched you guys and listened and followed you for a decade or just seems like so long and you've done so much to shape my life and it's really an honor to be here thank you so much for having us it's our pleasure it is our pleasure just like chick-fil-a <laughs> this is david green for rob my favorite stalker abasolo signing off There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.